Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Sebastian Ruder. You may remember Sebastian from our recent conversation in Twimmel Talk number 195. Sebastian's a PhD student in natural language processing at the National University of Ireland, as well as a research scientist at Alien. Sebastian, welcome back to Twimmel. Um, thanks, Sam. Great to be back. Absolutely. So, uh, as folks should know by now, we're doing something special for kind of the end of year, beginning of the year, talking with mostly returning guests, but some new guests about what they found interesting in their field in 2018 and what they expect to see in the new year. Uh, this is kind of an interesting conversation for us to have because our last conversation was kind of this like long term look back in time for natural language processing. Uh, but now we'll kind of focus in on the past year and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what your kind of top, uh, you know, top developments were in the field. So why don't we jump in and start with some of the papers that you thought were interesting this year? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we can start. Yeah. Let's maybe just st- um, start with a um, very uncontroversial one, I think, which is probably on a lot of people's highlights list as well. So that is the paper on Elmo that won the best paper award at NACL NLP conference um, in the summer of this year on deep contextualized uh, word representations. And I think that particular uh, paper is remarkable for a lot of people. Um, just because it was one of the first uh, which really demonstrated how um, useful these um, pre-trained language model representations can be on a very diverse array of tasks. And so I think for completeness, we should definitely mention that paper here. Um, And for me personally, I just would like to um, highlight some additional aspects. Maybe people don't really, uh, maybe might not remember, given those really superb empirical results. Um, which are that, um, yeah, I personally found that the empirical analysis and the uh, experiments in the paper were really, um, like, exceptionally well done. And I really um, found those, that particular section of the paper, really a a pleasant experience to read, Um, particularly because I found that the authors really tried um, actually to really make a good effort at understanding what is really going on in, in the network and what those particular layers um, in the model are actually learning. Um, and in particular, I really liked the um, experiments they did on um, word sensitive ambiguation and part of speech tagging, where they essentially um, took the features learned in the first and the second layer of this um, bidirectional uh, LSTM language model and just compared that to essentially really state-of-the-art models on both those tasks. And um, we're really able to show that um, just by training this um, deep language model on a lot of data, um, you get uh, representations that really come very close to the state-of-the-art on um, yeah, tasks that have been widely researched. Um, and secondly, that highlights also that um, kind of a difference between the layers that in the first layer um, you would kind of get better performance on this um, part of speech tagging, so this more low-level syntactic task, whereas um, with the second layer, uh, the more high-level layer, you would get a get better performance on this more um, semantic word-sensitive disambiguation task. And I think this, like, yeah, uh, this as one particular finding um, was really uh, exciting for me to read in that paper. 
And so for folks that aren't as familiar with the paper, the main uh, thrust or contribution of the paper was the, the architecture they proposed or was it something else? Um, so the main, the main contribution of that paper was essentially um, this kind of overall framework of using a um, kind of a state-of-the-art pre-trained uh, language model um, and using that as features with um, learned um, scalar uh as a using the pre-trained representations or using a convex combination of the pre-trained representations as an input into a downstream model and um, observing um, that those um, that this particular uh, approach or this framework leads to um, yeah exceptionally significant improvements on um, a wide variety of tasks uh, like reading comprehension uh, yeah named entity recognition sentiment analysis. Awesome, awesome. And that paper was by researcher, researchers at uh, the Allen Institute. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yes, uh, exactly. So that was building on um, on a paper they had last year where they used um, these uh, similar language model representations um, just in uh, as an input into a sequence uh, labeling model. Um, yeah, so most of the authors are from the Allen Institute or the University of Washington, uh, with the lead author being Matthew Peters. You know, all the papers we'll be talking about are relatively fresh. They they just came out. But have you seen people yet extending this work? There's been a lot of conversation about this paper in the community. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there's been, uh, I mean, it's really been remarkable seeing um, the kind of additional developments and really the, the interest in this um, overall direction. Um, so, um, yeah, I personally had a a paper with uh, Jeremy Howard from FastAI where we um, proposed a similar idea, um, placing more emphasis on how we fine-tune these language models for, for different tasks. Um, and then I think what has um, captured a lot of people's attention recently was um, a paper called uh, BERT so they, um, uh, from, from Google where they pre-train essentially an even bigger model, uh, so a deep transformer model that was previously proposed for machine translation on even a lot more data for a lot longer using a lot more uh, TPUs. Um, and they were able just using yeah, kind of a, a deeper model with some additional modifications um, to outperform uh, these previous results um, by a large <laughs> margin again. So that really shows, yeah, so, so this paper I mainly highlighted as one example in this overall direction. And I think we'll probably be talking more about that in the kind of predictions for the next year. Um, but I think there's still a lot of potential that is left untapped in this direction. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so what's next on your list? Um, cool. Yeah. So the next, um, the next paper I want to mention is one in a line of, um, essentially papers on unsupervised, um, cross-lingual models. And I think the paper that, um, uh, is yeah particularly interesting to mention here, which, which was also highlighted by the community before. So that one won um, best paper award at um, in MLP, a large uh, another large uh, NLP conference at the end of this year is the paper uh, phrase based and neural unsupervised machine translation by um, a group of researchers from Facebook AI research um, with uh, Guillaume uh, Lampel. Um, uh, uh, pioneering or spearheading that 
And um, that paper was, to me in particular, interesting um, because there had been some earlier papers at ICLEAR this year, um, which basically proposed um, first this idea of uh, unsupervised machine translation. So really, um, yeah, they proposed um, kind of two, uh, two papers independently proposed, um, two models that were maybe not for the first time. I'm sure there's been some some classic approaches um, before, but for the first time with um, these more recent uh, deep neural, neural network-based approaches, able to only given um, uh, monolingual corpora in two languages. So no, uh, so normally when you train a machine translation model, you really want to have a parallel, uh, parallel corpus, uh, which is a corpus that contains uh, pairs of sentences uh, in one language and their translation in the other language. Um, and the models they proposed were just able to take these monolingual corpora, which were not aligned, and um, just by having these monolingual corpora learn an alignment and learn a, a translation model that is able to produce somewhat okay um, present uh, translations. Um, so in that paper, those papers were mainly proof of concept showing that um, this particular like framework or paradigm actually worked. Um, and the results weren't still, like we're still quite a bit uh, ways below um, supervised approaches. And in this um, kind of extension or um, uh, yeah, building on, on those uh, ideas from earlier this year, um, this new paper um, kind of took those ideas and made them a lot more uh, robust and, and useful in practice, in particular by using many ideas from uh, classical um, statistical and phrase-based machine translation models um, and really getting those um, ideas to, to work and really um, show very good results on, on different data sets. Mm. And so for this one, are the corpora parallel at you know for example the 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 document level but just not aligned sentence or phrase by phrase or um are they you know let's say random kind of collection of documents in one language and a, a another random collection of documents in the other language um so the yeah the corpora are mo mostly random collections of uh, of documents in both languages so essentially i think they crawled um corpora like news corpora online or used um unlabeled corpora that were previously available for uh, machine translation research um so i think there's maybe some kind of topical alignment in that you have uh, news corpora talking about different things and and probably uh, i would my intuition would be that if you would train these models with totally uh, with corpora coming from totally different domains, like biomedical and uh, yeah, uh, news corpora, they uh, likely wouldn't do as well. Um, but yeah, still, you don't really have any sort of alignment, or the corpora itself are really easy to collect, as you just need to scrape uh, news corpora essentially. Is there any indication that this kind of approach can extend beyond uh, machine translation or or cross-lingual tasks? Did we learn anything? in this paper that is broadly applicable to unsupervised NLP tasks? Uh, yeah, so, so what I really liked was that in the paper, in the beginning, they took some time essentially laying down kind of the three key requirements for this sort of unsupervised machine translation, um, which are, I think, in a, in a sense, um, ones that are generally useful for many, un for many other unsupervised tasks in um, NLP. Uh, and these are, in particular, having a good um, initialization, uh, have doing something that allows you, so doing essentially language modeling, so something that allows you to get representations of the language, 
and having something that allows you to model the uh, inverse task. Or um, So in their case, they use back translation, which is um, a technique of getting, if you don't have um, or if you only have uh, monolingual corpora available, to still get that this kind of alignment pair that you can train your supervised models on by just using your um, current or the current state of your model to translate your monolingual data. And that's using that as um, kind of a, yeah, uh, like a weak supervision signal, um, effectively. And uh, this sort of back translation essentially, um, uh, yeah, can be seen as it allows the model to, uh, yeah, given only those data from one of the sources, really um, enforce something like a cyclical consistency. So um, it allows the model itself essentially to learn to be more uh, consistent with itself. Um, So I guess you would... Yeah, kind of um, people in the computer vision community have seen similar ideas in CycleGAN, uh, for instance, which had which can be seen as a similar idea where you have um, also non-parallel um, sets of images from different domains, and the model then learns to translate or to uh, transfer uh, one image from one of the domains to uh, the other domain, basically, um, by also having this principle of um, yeah doing this inverse modeling or enforcing this cyclic, uh, cyclical consistency. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think these, this notion is really uh, generally applicable. And then uh, in particular as well, this notion of having good initialization that just allows you, um, because the optimization process in these unsupervised approaches can be really um, very noisy or it can be very uh, challenging optimization problem. So you really want to start out from um, as good of an initialization as possible. And in their case, they use um, essentially a shared uh, word piece vocabulary. Um, but we've also seen um, there was another paper at ACL that I particularly liked um, by uh, Ateche and uh, others um, who proposes basically a better initialization for learning cross-lingual embeddings um, by effectively incorporating um, some sense of uh, his domain knowledge of the problem, that uh, words that are similar to each other in other languages have um, similar distributions of words they are similar to in in turn. Yeah, I mean, we could talk more about this paper here, but I think we probably want to cover a few more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we could probably do whole shows on each of the papers you're talking about. Um, But uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. So the next one is, I think, um, yeah, it's also, uh, I think, for me in line um, or an example of a larger trend that I found particularly interesting this year, which is kind of this um, increasing awareness of um, having to incorporate incorporate um, common sense into our models. So because um, many people have observed in different papers or different studies that the current models are uh, brittle or in, in many different ways so that they don't actually um, encode information that as humans we find um, uh, yeah we find plausible or that makes sense to us so that they don't really have this um, notion of like causality or of common sense really um, and in this line there's been yeah, some efforts mainly on creating um, different data sets that um, allow us to train models that um, can uh, e- exhibit some of these common yeah, common sense uh, inference mechanisms. Um, and in, in that line, there's been yeah, some great work coming from uh, the University of Washington, from a Yijin Choice group. Um, so she had uh, two papers 
um, uh, or proposing two datasets, um, event to mind and um, swag. Um, which, uh, yeah, kind of in, in both instances, um, yeah, create a, a task that uh, tries to capture some of these commonalities. So for um, Swag, for instance, um, they used um, captions from, from images um, to essentially uh, create a multiple choice task where you have a sentence um, and then four possible um, uh subsequent sentences uh, to that. And the model then uh, has to decide which of those four possibilities is the most plausible one or which is the, the actual one that would plausibly um, follow the current one. Um, and what I particularly liked about their paper was that they really um, try to like take some of the lessons uh, we've seen recently in that many of the uh, like previously proposed data sets um, exhibited different sorts of biases. So often the models trained on those were able to exploit um, some patterns in how the humans, um, uh, like how the human annotators uh, generate the data, because often um, generally people who would annotate those data sets are um, on Mechanical Turk. They don't have a lot of time, so they often try to take shortcuts if, if possible um, to just uh, yeah, generate those examples faster. And those shortcuts would lead to some patterns in the data that a model would be able to exploit and that would then um, kind of show this brittleness of the of these models that a lot of people have criticized. Um, and in this SWAG uh, paper, um, a very very nice uh, acronym um, as well. Um, they yeah, took uh, some some measures to uh, protect against these biases by proposing a new mechanism um, that uses some some other models as well to um, more effectively select um, these uh, possible negative uh, answers in each example. And I think that's yeah that that's really a useful direction. And I think we'll probably see um, kind of in future dataset papers. Um, at least some discussion of bias and hopefully some um, some measure or some means to prevent that um, prematurely. Okay. Now, this is this is the uh, formulation of their problem where their uh, where the prediction task comes before the contextual sentences. Is that uh, is that? unique or novel most of the time the prediction task follows the contextual sentences is that right um so typically you would have um i, I mean it's kind of rare so you have like in most in most cases in those q a data sets you have some sort of like passage that they're reading and they try to select some answer based on that um or you have some like challenging data sets in the past, like the Wienergrad schema, where you have a sentence um, and then you try to disambiguate a certain um, word in that sentence. Like it's more kind of akin to uh, word sense disambiguation in, in context. And in, in contrast to those, this data set is more um, really about kind of this um, yeah, kind of notion of causality and really um, events that um, plausibly follow each other. Um, so, for instance, an example here, um, there's a sentence where which describes that a, uh, like a woman takes a seat at the, the piano. Um, so given that real-world situation, um, is it more likely that the woman then in the next sentence uh, plays with a doll? Does she uh, just smile? Is she, are there dancers in the crowd? Or does, um, does she actually put her fingers on the keys to play? 
Um, so it's really, yeah, so this data set very much is about really understanding um, kind of these real world knowledge and understanding what, uh, what kind of events follow each other in the real world. Okay. And just to be clear, is the, are the sample sentences uh, like the ones you described in that order where you, you get one or multiple contextual sentences and then the multiple choice, or is it the other way around where you, you, the multiple choices, the context, and then you get the sentences that follow and the task is to try to guess the context? Um, yeah, so it's uh, the first way. So you first have the sentence and then uh, you have the multiple choice questions. Yeah. Oh, okay. I um, misunderstood yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. And, and there have been, I mean, there, there have been some other data sets um, before as well. I think there, there's one, the Lambada uh, uh, data set. Um, and a lot of those are based on um, stories, which give you um, some sentences or a paragraph of a story and then ask you to um, kind of decide either what is the next par, par, uh, sentence or whether a certain um, what is a certain entity in the next um, sentence. Um, so these are very kind of automatically generated based on stories. And in comparison to that, this one really emphasizes this kind of more event-based notion. Cool. And so uh, what's the next one on your list? Um, cool, yeah. So the next one was... Um, think something that um, flew a bit under people's uh, radar mainly. Um, so I, I found that particularly interesting because it combines um, semi-supervised learning. So learning um, essentially, so these the previous approaches to transfer learning that I mentioned, they essentially learn from a large unlabeled corpus um, to get pre-trained representations. Um, and semi-supervised learning in general um, often kind of assumes that the unlabeled data is from is from the the target task you care about. So if you have uh, if you have a semi-supervised learning model, you might apply that to uh, sentiment tasks. Then you have some additional reviews in in that domain, basically. Um, and um, a lot of these uh, transfer learning approaches can also be used in in that setting. Um, but this particular paper um, proposed some ideas that are um, complementary to these more um, language model based representations. Um, in that it explicitly um, encourages a model to be more uh, robust on unlabeled data, basically. Um, so the paper I mentioned, I'm talking about is the um, semi-supervised sequence modeling with uh, cross-view training um, that was presented at EMLP 2018 uh, from uh, Clark and uh, collaborators. And um, they take some, so they're, uh, yeah, so I can, you can see their paper um, in line of some um, recent um, semi-supervised learning approaches uh, mainly in computer vision. And in a lot of those approaches, um, models try to enforce some notion of um, consistency within the model's prediction on unlabeled data. Um, so in a lot of cases, we had, um, I think in 2015, um, there was a paper called the Ladder Networks, um, and that essentially enforced that uh, a model's prediction under noise. So if you have a... Um, your original model and the model um, uh, where you add noise to, um, the predictions of those two variants should be um, the same on unlabeled data. Um, and then recently we've had um, some more um, yeah, similar approaches in, in that line, which um, try um, try to make the model um, the models uh, predictions um, consistent with the, its predictions in the past. Um, so some of these approaches are also called um, self-assembling approaches. Um, 
So we can see that in, in this um, in the design of works. And this paper in particular um, proposed a very, um, very simple framework um, in that you have your, say for uh, an NLP task, you have your um, BIOSTM encoder, you feed your sentence uh, through that and get a prediction for your, uh, for your labeled example. So you still train that as uh, normally on your labeled examples. And then on unlabeled example, you would again um, feed your input through that and you would get a prediction on your unlabeled example. Um, so this is the prediction of your main model. Um, and then you would um, kind of iteratively or um, alternately um, um, obfuscate different parts of the input. So say if the input sentence was um, they traveled to Washington uh, by plane um, in like a named entity recognition task, you would um, in one auxiliary model um, remove the, the last part um, of the sentence. So you, you would have an auxiliary model. Um, you would only feed in uh, they travel to into your BioSTM encoder and get another prediction. Then you would do that um, yeah, for, um, for other parts where you um, obfuscate other parts of the input, like they travel to Washington um, by plane. And for each of these auxiliary models, you would get a prediction um, based on the model only seeing parts of the input. And in the end, you would enforce those models, uh, those losses to be similar to the, or consistent with the model uh, seeing the full um, the full example. Um, and that essentially enforces that the model is um, kind of less sensitive to some of these local features in the input, um, but really um, um, encourages the model to pay attention to yeah, particular words like travel, that actually travel highlights some um, uh, highlights that uh, traveling is to location uh, and really makes the model um, yeah, also be able to learn from unlabeled data these useful patterns effectively. It kind of reminds me of dropout in the language domain as opposed to in the network domain. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so it's very similar to like a word dropout, essentially. So people have tried um, this, uh, like dropping out individual words in input um, rather than dropping out hidden states like in regular dropout. And so I think this is like very, very similar to that. Um, and maybe the main difference is that uh, in regular uh, or in this word dropout, you're still mostly restricted um, to learning on labeled examples. So if you, you can really only apply the dropout on just making your model more robust given the label data that you have. And with this additional objective, you can even, um, because you're not trying to predict a label, but just enforcing this sort of consistency, um, you can also apply that to unlabeled data. Yeah, I think you've got a couple more papers yet, right? Yeah, so I think maybe one of the last ones I, I, I'd like to mention is kind of in line with, I think, one of the broader or main challenges in NLP going forward, which is really uh, making sense of very large documents. So we, we, you have that in summarization, for instance, where if you want to um, sum, summarize a very large document, that is still um, something that current approaches struggle with. Um, and similarly, if for, um, say, current uh, question answering systems, um, most of those approaches are based on answering questions um, from on a paragraph. And um, so really a kind of a direction and a challenge going forward is to um, expand this context from a paragraph to entire 
um, articles and then hopefully to uh, longer, yeah, larger bodies of information, a collection of documents or even whole uh, narratives like in books or movie scripts. Uh, and the paper in, the, in that item that I want to highlight here is um, from some re researchers from uh, DeepMind, the Narrative uh, QA Reading Comprehension Challenge uh, that was at um, yeah, it was published in uh, Tackle, the, the Journal of Computation Linguistics. And this particular paper, I like. So this paper also presented a new um, data set for, for question answering. Um, and what I like particularly about this paper um, is that, so generally if you... Um, so the, the dilemma really is that um, because current models really are only able to do really well on, if you have a, a paragraph as input, um, if you want to propose a new data set or a new challenge um, that uh, requires um, models to answer questions based on entire books, uh, that will be too too difficult for current models. So you, you won't even be able to apply existing models to that just because the, the task is so much uh, different to what we have. Um so you really want to have something that is both a uh, kind of a challenge and uh, like a uh, more long-term direction, but something that also allows you to apply current models to the task. And, and I think they, they did a good job of um, striking the balance between those two extremes um, in that they had, uh, as part of their data set, they proposed this kind of overall challenge of answering questions um, about books and uh, movie scripts. Um, but the questions, um, the way they obtained those um, were based based on uh, summaries of those movie scripts and of the books. Um, so humans were provided with uh, a summary of the, um, of the book or of the movie script and had to generate possible question answer pairs based on that. Um, so, to, so now to make it, um, so in the near term to make um, models, so to make this task easier for models, um, they can then also be supplied with the summaries that we actually use to generate um, these question answer pairs, um, which makes it uh, then more similar to existing data sets like Squat and which allows the application of existing models to that. And then as we find that current models really are able to do very well in that, we can then um, essentially scale up the context, um, incorporating kind of the, the, the book or the movie script uh, context um, as well um, to um, get closer to that overall challenge. And uh, yeah, in particular in the paper, they also talk about, so one way that you can already try to leverage some of this, um, the entire content of the book is to use it in a two-step way where you first apply an information retrieval approach to that. So you first try to um, retrieve uh, in uh, like relevant sentences based um, to the question from the entire book and then use those for giving an answer. Um, but I, as I say in the paper, that task, because in a book, um, yeah, book is not something you would typically apply IR to, and you, you'd have a lot of sentences that are very similar, and particularly when the question is about some main characters, you have many sentences um, talking about those. Um, so it's still by itself even a very challenging IR problem. What kind of experimental results did they present in the paper, if at all? So essentially, they um, they present results both on this kind of simplified setting where you answer questions um, based on the summary um, that um, the annotators use to generate the original questions. Um, so to that setting, they um, just apply existing models, like existing state-of-the-art uh, re uh, reading comprehension models that have achieved good performance on um, some of the other tasks. 
Um, so they show those results and then um, basically propose this uh, two-step approach for um, that I just mentioned mm-hmm. for using the entire book uh, and present um, yeah some some results for for those um, as well given different uh, yeah different baselines and different um, yeah different uh, encoder methods um, as well as kind of looking if you had a, a perfect IR model for instance I would be able to give the most relevant sentences um, given the answer actually how how good the models would actually perform then um, yeah and in addition they also simplify the task um, a bit or try to give like another um, simpler option of the task rather than generating the answer. Um, selecting the answer from a, a candidate set of 30 different answers. Um, so rather than uh, having actually the more challenging uh, task of generating the answer, you can uh, just reduce it to a classification setting, which also in the near term might make it more accessible to uh, do this sort of QA on full stories. So some really interesting papers this year. As I said here, uh, I think there's been really a yeah, a lot, a lot of very interesting, uh, very diverse papers, and a lot of very important directions as well. Awesome. So our next category is tools and open source projects. What uh, what caught your eye here? Um, cool. Yeah. So in that regard, um, uh, maybe yeah, kind of building on what we just discussed previously. Um, what I found personally uh, most exciting was um, just those research groups really open sourcing. Um, Good implementations of um, many of the, the papers that I just mentioned. So we we had uh, yeah shortly after, for instance, the the Bird paper, which is kind of the current um, state of the art language modeling paper, um, came out uh, a TensorFlow version together with a, um, a collaboratory notebook demo of that, which people uh, then ported into uh, PyTorch. So can you you can use it in in different frameworks um, and other people already using that. So um, um, yeah, and similarly to that, before you had um, Elmo as well, um, so that uh, being made very uh, easy, easily accessible in both uh, NLP as well as in TensorFlow via TensorFlow Hub. Um, and similarly, we also um, open sourced our uh, OMFIT model in the FastAI library. And I think just, um, the, yeah, like this whole trend of really... Um, researchers and people not taking a lot of time to um, share their models with the community really allowed um, much of this recent um, kind of accelerated progress and I think has really um, yeah kind of captured a lot of Im- imagination and really made it um, comparatively easy now for people to actually um, put that put their ideas uh, into practice and apply them um, and similarly um, yeah I was also really excited to see um, here the uh, Groups from uh, Ateche and from Facebook sharing the implementations of Ansuvat's machine translation, um, because also I think that is really very uh, promising, particularly for low resource languages. And I, yeah, I'm personally really excited to see what people, how people are going to build on those implementations and really use them and apply them to their uh, own applications. And uh, yeah, and another thing that I just want to mention here, so th- those were just kind of more uh, research uh, paper, open source uh, implementations of those. And another trend that I um, particularly liked this year or just another development I, I liked was the, um, so one particular tool, this uh, Google dataset uh, search. Um, so more so, so I haven't used that tool much uh, recently yet, or um, it, it doesn't seem that to have that 
great coverage yet for many NLP uh, data sets or many of the most commonly used ones in academia at least. Um, but I think it's an instance kind of of a larger trend of really making um, kind of the, the lifeblood um, of the, the current models that we have this, um, the, the data sets that we need to train and evaluate the models um, really more easy, easily accessible and placing those really at the, the fingertips um, of a lot of people. And I think just that uh, having like this um, yeah, data set search engine um, as well as some other um, yeah some other resources. So there have been some uh, great lists online on um, like collections of data sets recently and also for NLP um, um I, together with other people, we've worked on um, compiling a repository of um, different, a collection of different data sets, as well as state-of-the-art uh, results in natural language processing as well. Um, and there's been some cool um, yeah, extensions and uh, more work in, in that direction recently. Um, so I think overall, yeah, for me, that's been really useful direction of just making those data sets and this knowledge of what is actually the current um, state-of-the-art and the current models that are being used uh, more accessible to the wider community. Oh, that's great. You mentioned that this Google data set search uh, isn't very up-to-date on NLP results. Is it? Is it manually curated or is it, you know, is it kind of a search engine? Um, and what do you suppose is the causing the lag? Yeah, so, so I think it's, it's mostly, I mean, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how it works on the, under the hood. I think data sets, so people who host data sets online or so, they can embed some uh, JavaScript or some schema um, pattern into their file, which would allow the, um, dataset search to um, pick up on that, but I'm, I'm ha- I'd be happy to be corrected on that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where. Uh, I think it's I, I, my guess it would be automatic, but I'm not entirely sure how it works under under the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just observed. I mean, it's as well kind of related to that. Not all of the datasets have um, public pages, so a lot of the datasets are still. Um, you still have to go to um, uh, research papers um, to find, to track down the links um, or actually, um, yeah, in some cases, maybe even reach out to the authors if there's some um, particular copyright on, on the data set. Um, so I think in, in many cases, it's still not that um, standardized, um, which would maybe make it easier for the search engine to pick up on the particular data sets. But I'm, but I'm hopeful that going forward, it will be easy, like coverage of a yeah, tool like that will be uh, broader or that we'd have other tools that make it easier. Jumping into the next category, uh, commercial developments, you had a particular, uh, a particular announcement or, or a new product in mind. Um, yeah, so regarding the commercial development, I think the most... Um, yeah, the most striking development this year for me, or the, or the one I was really um, most excited about, was um, here from Google. This um, the the demo they, uh, they showed of Google Duplex, so their um, which was their assistant, um, for, you know, effectively using Google Assistant to talk and make appointments or perform certain tasks. Uh, related to making appointments with restaurants or the hairdresser, um, so in very um, kind of narrow scenarios, and um, leading like following that, there were some some issues around um, just uh, privacy and um, kind of some uh, yeah co- concerns about the um, 
just the uh, the bot actually um, sharing that it is uh, not human operated, but that it is actually a bot. So I think there's still some issues to be addressed around that. But more broadly, I found that really um, kind of a, a very uh, yeah like uh, really great uh, demonstration of um, I think uh, yeah particular use case where these sort of um, dialect technologies can have a big impact in the near, near term, which is really focusing on um, narrow, mostly well-defined domains that you can, um, where you can mostly um, uh, enumerate um, most of the potential scenarios or most of the potential um, uh, interactions that you can have um, and where you can then um, apply these models to really make um make people more productive or um, efficient in general. Yeah, that was absolutely a stunning demo. Uh, and it sounds like they've rolled it out in at least some limited way uh, this past month, maybe. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I've only heard in the US that it might take place there. I think here in Europe, we probably have to wait a bit longer for that. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and then you've got a couple quick points on kind of top, uh, application areas for the year. What caught your eye in terms of the way folks are uh, putting all this uh, all this research to work? Um, yeah. So regarding so um, regarding application areas, I think the most impactful for me this year in like a societal and uh, uh, context really was um, anything related to dealing with news and in particular um, combating the fake news problem that has really has yeah has received a lot of uh, attention recently. And in particular, there's been yeah kind of new startups and initiatives like uh, Fact Matter, for instance, in London. Who are um, yeah doing a uh, uh, really working closely with uh, journalists to um, to to fight uh, fight these problems. Um, there's been um, yeah more increased attention in the um, community, uh, for instance, as part of different workshops. So there was a workshop on fact extraction and uh, verification, uh, which really tried to define. Um, yeah, because in in most of these cases, really the first step to fighting combating that is. It's really to build data sets first that allow us to, to train these models and share, sharing those with the community. So workshops like that, or similarly, um, there's a share task uh, next year on hyper-partisanship detection. Um, so I think initiatives like that will really uh, go a long way themselves. Um, and, and in addition, so news was also on, on my personal radar, uh, just because of the work I've been doing here at, at Alien on uh, news analysis um, and uh, relation extraction uh, is also really something that we're um, more trying to focus on as well. Um, and I think, yeah, now fake news maybe besides by, um, addressing additional uh, bias in, in models that are trained on NLP tasks, um, I think is really one of the um, directions uh, NLP can have the most, uh, the biggest impact in society. Uh, yeah, that's become a clear area of opportunity for these kinds of, uh, for NLP in general. So definitely agree with that one. Before we run out of time, I'd love to get your take on some predictions for uh, 2019. Where do you think the, the biggest opportunities lay for uh, NLP researchers and practitioners? Um, cool. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, for me personally, I think the, the biggest opportunities um, are around um, transfer learning in general. So really, um, as I mentioned before, these sort of um, pre-trained representations we are um, we are getting uh, we're having right now. I think with those we are still um, 
very much at the start. There's still, um, yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of potential that we can leverage there. And in particular, I think um, just for for researchers or kind of practitioners who want to um, do like um, yeah work with those and make their own have their own in- impact in that, that direction. I think um, yeah people shouldn't be discouraged by I mean now you've seen with these recent approaches um, that like I think Bird was trained on like 64 TPU pods on I think four or five days or something um, so I think people shouldn't be and even that model um, was now the state of the art I think people shouldn't be discouraged by these um, like these data or compute requirements and I think there's a lot of directions that still don't require you to have that many that access to that much compute um, so for instance in um, just better understanding uh, what these models actually um, capture and what they, if they can, um, yeah, if they allow us to uh, capture things like uh, common sense or not and what those representations actually look like. I think that that's really exciting uh, direction. And then just um, applying uh, applying those models to different tasks, essentially. Um, and then related to that, I think, um, with understanding how, like, what they can and can't capture, I think there's really a lot of room for um, just learning and creating representations that um, address those particular deficiencies. Um, so, for instance, there was a, um, a recent cool paper I liked from people at uh, Facebook Air Research um, where they um, learned um, dedicated representations, dedicated preprint representations for uh, word pairs. Yeah, so word pairs, um, just how two words uh, relate to each other in general. Yeah, um, and these representations are quite useful for tasks like entailment or even question answering, um, where you try to relate words in the question uh, to the words in the paragraph, words in the hypothesis to words in the premise. Um, um, because your model in the end has to do some some cross sentence uh, cross sentence um, inference essentially, um, and I think really figuring out what is the task you care about and what is something that um, you that is necessary for that task to do well on it and how can you um, capture that and learn that with representations I think is really like overall really um, a useful direction um, and something so I think I mean for me. Personally, we, we've seen now, or we've we have like a lot of in, in computer vision and a lot of other disciplines, things like model zoos, where people have access to different sorts of pre-trained models, like different types of um, pre-trained image net models. And, and recently, we've seen people combining different forms of word embeddings and actually um, showing that different forms of word, word embeddings, uh, so word embeddings from WordVec and GLOF and other ones, are have complementary information to each other. Um, so I think going forward. Um, one thing that we'd probably see is just having a lot more of these pre-trained representations that encode particular information relating to syntax, semantics, and other aspects that then people can effectively mix and match and combine for their relative tasks. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, we spoke quite a bit about transfer learning in NLP and uh, the embedding stuff as well in the, the previous interview that I'd refer folks back to. But I can definitely see us kind of continuing to, to make progress down this this path. It's been pretty astounding what's uh, what we've seen this year. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. 
Um, yeah, and, and the, the second direction I just want to quickly highlight here is um, that we've seen this year um, just a lot more attention on um, the importance of evaluating things um, like on multiple languages and, and more people are working on kind of multilingual and cross-lingual applications. So I think um, yeah, I'm really confident or hopeful at least that we'll see more of that next year, uh, in particularly, uh, particularly looking at uh, low resource languages. Um, and yeah, and even uh, yeah, and people combining kind of learning some of these representations in a cross-lingual way, so that you have a model um, like the recent um, kind of bird multilingual model that was trained on a lot of languages, and that allows then um, application uh, or almost zero-shot learning for a lot of these other languages. So, do you have uh, some kind of top predictions, some you know s- specific predictions for 2019 or the near future? Uh, well, okay. So in terms of specific predictions, I mean, I, I think, um, so we'll see, well, it's kind of hard to be like particularly specific. Uh, I mean, we'll see a lot more of, um, like, I think almost every paper that is going to achieve state of the art on a particular NLP task will use some form of uh, contextual or pre-trained representations. That's pretty certain. Um, Besides that, I yeah I would hope that um, if you look at like keywords of language uh, like of words mentioned in in different papers, you would see um, at least an increase in uh, other languages being mentioned. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's another one. I think it's yeah it's kind of hard to be like too uh, yeah much more specific than that. It sounds like the thrust of your predictions are in these kind of two main directions more cross-language work, uh, more attention to uh, using transfer learning? Uh, yeah, I mean, and like, I think anything that I mentioned um, before, so also the work on common sense inference, um, reasoning with large documents, I think all of those could really be um, kind of their own predictions or their own uh, directions uh, in the future as well. So so I would personally expect to see more work in in those related directions as well. Uh, and similarly, um, I would expect or hope to see more work generally on just developing um, kind of more general seamless learning algorithms uh, for different NLP tasks. Any other thoughts on what we might expect to see in the coming year? Um, yeah, so I just want to kind of call out a few um, just initiatives and uh, organizations that I think um, are really worth watching in the next year as well. And I'm personally really excited about um, yeah, kind of local initiatives that are um, spearheading uh, and evangelizing um, machine learning in AI, in particularly for um, kind of underrepresented groups. Um, so particularly, I think the, the deep learning DABA and the team behind that, um, which is an initiative to strengthen uh, machine learning in uh, Africa, uh, has been doing some amazing work. And related to that, also there's been um, the the Black and AI workshop at uh, NRIPS this year has really had an uh, amazing attendance. Or similarly, there's been queer and Latin in AI. So I think, uh, yeah, I really find it amazing and uh, yeah, really fruitful to see um, these um, yeah these initi- initiatives really getting more support and getting um, kind of a wider attendance and um, yeah strengthening. And uh, yeah, and kind of similar to, to that, uh, personally being in Europe as well, I found it exciting that there's been some uh, local European initiatives, um, Alice and Claire in particular, which try to bring 
um, kind of uh, Europeans uh, more closely um, together in kind of a joint, um, uh, yeah, joint organization or joint association, effectively. Um, and then I hope to see uh, more work in uh, in the coming year from. Uh, yeah, really like open source initiatives, people um, uh, open sourcing more work and in particular, yeah, particularly um, things from uh, FastAI, for instance, which have really been doing um, amazing work both on uh, educating many people um, as well as even publishing uh, very high impact uh, research in both in computer vision as well as natural, natural language processing. Well, Sebastian, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me and, and review this past year and uh, what we should expect for 2019. Uh, definitely an exciting time in NLP. Cool. Great. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.